In the words of an insightful observer of our culture, faith is one of those words that has been misused for so long that most people have no idea what it really is. Ask someone on the street to describe faith. And while you might get some respectful sounding words, the heart of the matter will most likely be that faith is belief in the ridiculous against all evidence. Faith is the belief in the ridiculous against all evidence. In nice words. My experience, which isn't authoritative, but my experience is that's exactly what we hear. And that is super motivating. It's super motivating for me as a Christian because I want people to understand what Christianity is. And I want them to understand what faith is in Christianity. And whether they accept it or they reject it, at least they know what they're accepting or rejecting. Faith is one of the most significant realities, concepts, words in the whole universe. It's vitally important. It's crucial. Given the fact that the Bible says if you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved if you have faith in Jesus. So it makes it, 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 it doesn't get any more important than that. But when most people hear us say faith or belief, they think we mean something other than what we mean. They think we're talking about turn your brain off and affirm fairy tales or something like that. And so out of selfish reasons, out of pastoral reasons, out of a burden for the lost, out of hopefully devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ who's called us ambassadors, I am super motivated to have us consider what faith is and what faith isn't from the biblical perspective so that we can read our Bibles better, so that we can understand God better, so that we can understand Christianity, so that we can be better ambassadors. We really have to understand this. And maybe I'll start by pointing the finger at pastors not doing a, a very good job of, of clearly communicating what faith is and what faith isn't. But it's been going on for a long time. Just this past week, I was reading a book called What is Faith? From 1930-something, where J. Gresham Machen is having to explain these things, saying there's a crisis in the United States of America. People don't know what faith is. Well, not much has changed. So we're doing this short series regarding faith in the context of Christianity. What is it? What isn't it? We're looking at 12 or so questions so we can understand it better. So we're not doing a book study right now. If you're new to the Bible, that means we're going to be in all different Bible passages. Don't be freaked out. Um, usually we're just in one book of the Bible and it's a lot simpler. Um, you can jot down the text, but we're going to look at a, a broad level. What, what's faith about in Christianity? We're looking at 12 or so of these. Next week, we're going to wrap things up and look at common misconceptions regarding faith. And I think some of them will surprise you, and other, others of them won't surprise you at all. So, just by way of review, we've looked at, number one, what is faith? And I can't resist telling you, faith is trust. Faith is dependence, reliance. 
Okay? If something's not trustworthy, you shouldn't have trust in it. You shouldn't have faith in it. And fairy tales aren't trustworthy. Number two, what makes faith necessary? Three, where does faith come from? Four, what does one, uh, what is one to believe? What is one to have faith in? What is one to believe? Five, how is one to believe? How is one to believe? Six, what about faith in the Old Testament? Seven, does faith justify? Eight, is faith blind? Last week, Pastor Chris Peterson talked about the fruit of faith in Second Peter. We're going to look at number nine today. Is faith in a person or a doctrine? Oh, I said that word, doctrine. Doctrine is bad. We don't even know what it is, but we know it's bad. Doctrine means teaching. In Christianity, a doctrine is a teaching regarding God. So Christians believe in the doctrine of the resurrection, the teaching that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's a doctrine. Christians believe in the, the triunity of God, that there is one eternal God who eternally exists in three persons. It's not something we comprehend, but it's something we affirm. It's a doctrine. It's a teaching of Christianity. My question to you today is, question number nine, is our faith to be in a person, God, or is it to be in a doctrine? And for those of you who are doing this, you're right. Right? It's a trick question. We do the either-or thing, hopefully to, 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 to elicit some, some thoughtfulness and, and to be provocative. Do we believe in God? Or do we believe in the resurrection? Well, we believe both. And in Christianity, it's both, not either-or. And this is important because sometimes in our kind of sappy, sentimentality, um, lowest kind of least denominator kind of thing, water everything down, we would say, you know, we, we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe in doctrine. That's, that, that, that's impossible. We, we believe both. Let's look at a couple of texts. If you have a Bible, you can look at John chapter 11. We can just look at one text. It's not either or, it's a false decision. Let's make sure we understand that we, we believe in Jesus, the person of Jesus, and we also believe in, in realities about him, and, and both are vital and important and essential. John chapter 11, Lord willing, we're going to start in the fall a study of, of Jesus and the gospel according to John. It'll be fascinating, it'll be amazing. I'm excited, I'm intimidated, I'm motivated, I'm nervous. You don't want to blow it. Like once in my life, I get to do John. John is awesome. John is offensive. I once heard a pastor say, we tell unbelievers to read John? What are we thinking? You want to really scare them off? I think it's good to have unbelievers read John, but Jesus said such hard things in John. People left. Couldn't handle it. And he would say to his current followers, do you want to leave too? It was all calculated. It's, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. It might be, we might be doing a seminar on church shrinkage instead of church growth. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So it'll be awesome. 
How do we get off on that? Okay, John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 25. Rudely kind of jumping in here, but fascinating to see is our faith in a person or in a doctrine. Jesus, in verse 25, said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. We'll come back to that. Whoever believes in me. So so we don't believe in the concept of resurrection. We don't believe in the doctrine of resurrection to save us as a doctrine, a teaching. We believe in Jesus. Jesus is, is a person. Personable. Whoever believes in me, when a person becomes a Christian, they believe in Jesus. They rest in Jesus. They trust in Jesus. And look at the promise connected to it. Though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone, what an awesome promise. And everyone who lives and believes in me, again, person, shall never die. He's talking about ultimate death. Do you believe this? But do notice he's not allowing us to do the either or thing. Believe in me, believe in me. Do you believe this? Do you believe this about me? See, there's doctrine connected to person. And if we go back to the beginning, we can see how it works. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's doctrine. I am the resurrection. I am the author of life. I'm the giver of life. I'm the one in whom you have to trust in order for you to have life and resurrection. It's both. We believe in a person. And we believe in the truth about the person. To, to quote that old book and that old author, J. Gresham Machen, it is impossible to have faith in a person without having knowledge of the person. Far from being contrasted with knowledge, faith is founded upon knowledge. See, when Jesus says, come to me, trust in me, Well, Jesus isn't the mail carrier. He's not the town crier. He's not those things. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. See, it's based upon reality. Knowledge of the reality. both. And by the way, again, we're not talking about fantasy because Jesus was bodily raised from the dead, which sets him apart from everybody else. It's why we have hope in him, confidence in him. It's exciting stuff. You don't need to turn there, but I mean, we could just go passage after passage after passage. Hebrews 11.6, I'm not going to read it. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, we looked at a number of weeks ago. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, see, that's, that's him defined in a certain way, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's doctrine, that's teaching, you will be saved. Something about Jesus and what he actually did. So I don't want to belabor the point, but, let's, but, but it is important because sometimes, especially in our kind of settings and context, we tend to think it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus as long as you believe in Jesus. Well, Jesus spoke and Jesus 
is a person and Jesus did do things and, and it really does matter what he did. Let's move on to number, number 10. Is all faith saving faith? Is all faith saving faith? It's kind of a trick question again because I want to say all faith that is saving faith is saving faith. All faith that is genuine faith is saving faith. But what's before us right now is we do need to know in the Bible, we're going to look at James. We can look look at other passages. We could look at Romans 6. We could look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. But we should go to James chapter 2. It's toward the end of the Bible, and you could just back up your way to the left. It's not that hard to find. Not all faith is saving faith. There are people who profess to trust in Jesus, and they're not really trusting in Jesus. Not in a saving kind of way. You know, I, I told you the wrong passage. Sorry. Don't forget James. We're going to be there for the next point. We could, do, we, could do a, we could do a twofer right here, and we could prove both points from James chapter 2, but I want to save it for the next one. Is all faith saving faith? I'm going to reference John chapter 2. In the second service, I'll get it right. Oh, no, wait a minute. We don't have a second service anymore. That was a good benefit of having two services. Although I'm convinced the elect came to this first service. Just just kidding. Or those with kids came to the second service. Um, I'm going to look at John chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 13. Um, John 2 is fascinating. In verse 23, it says... Now, when he was in Jerusalem, this is Jesus, in Jerusalem, at the Passover feast, many believed. There's our faith word. You don't need to know this, but just, just remember that. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust. That's actually the same exact Greek word. Jesus didn't believe. Jesus didn't have faith. So if you want to have fancy Greek words, which you don't need to know to know the Bible, it's pistuo and it's pistuo. Same exact word. So many believed, but Jesus on his part did not believe. Himself to them because he knew all people. How about that? That's spicy. See, it's going to be interesting in John. Many people saw the stuff that he did and they were happy because they were going to get their bellies filled. And they saw that he could do miraculous things and do healings. And so he, he, he's extraordinary. And so they were, they were believing in him in a sense. They would trust him for a, for a meal. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts and so Jesus was not entrusting himself to them. He knew their faith wasn't a saving faith. To be extra provocative, I like to say, well, it's important that you believe in Jesus, but does Jesus believe in you? They weren't looking to him to be their Messiah, Savior, atoning, reconciler. They were looking to him for some things. That's interesting. Now, we don't have the privilege of of being Jesus, 
We don't, we don't have the, the privilege of having his power and his ability to see in people's hearts, let alone our own hearts. To know who is actually trusting him as Savior and not just to make their life better. But the Bible does talk about some people believe and it's unto salvation. It's genuine. And some people believe and it's, it's not genuine. And it really is important for us as Christians when we read our Bibles and to understand when we share the gospel with people and be equipped that there is to be that category. There are those who profess faith and it's genuine and there are those who profess faith and it's not genuine. And if you don't have a category for that, I'll call it a, a false profession of faith, you're going to be super confused. Confused in your, your world that you live in and confused in your Bible reading. But here's what Jesus did when he was going to send the disciples out. I'm going to go to Matthew 13. When he was going to send the disciples out, he equipped them first. And he, just, and, and he let them know, as you go out and you proclaim, you proclaim the gospel like a sower, giving the gospel word, right? Proclaiming the word of Christ. And, and you sow it far and wide and give it to anybody and everybody who will listen or not listen. Shocking maybe to them, because what they're going to say is true, not everyone will believe it. Not everyone will believe it in a saving way. Jesus wanted them to know that ahead of time. I want you to know that ahead of time, as you want to share the good news about Christ with people, there are going to be different kinds of responses, which kind of baffles our minds, because if we believe it, we think everybody will believe it. Okay, Matthew 13, let's, um, let's just look at the interpretation. We'll begin in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's one of the things that happens. That's one of the outcomes. This is what was sown among the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, here's a different kind. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it. That would be a synonym there for believes it. They, they accept it. They affirm it. They trust in it and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. That's what we're talking about right now. There is a kind of faith, there is a kind of receiving Jesus that isn't a saving kind of faith. It's received and it's exciting and then the pressure comes. No thanks. We see a risk of this in Hebrews, which we talked about a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but, care, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So there could be a positive response initially there as well. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in some case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. It lasts, it sticks, it produces fruit. It's a genuine saving faith, but there is a category for a non-saving faith, a temporary faith. A John chapter 2 kind of faith. Now this brings up many questions that I'm not planning to answer today. 
perhaps worth jotting down to help you have a category for a, an empty profession of faith or a, a, a non-saving profession of faith would be 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19 is super helpful. It says, it's so helpful that I know it for memory and I don't have a great memory, but some things are worth knowing for memory. Those who went out from us were never truly of us. Hmm. You've got to have a category for that. I've lost count how many people in my life have professed faith in Jesus and no longer do today. According to John chapter 6 and John chapter 10, they didn't lose their salvation. We'll talk about that when we get into John. I'm not going to do it this morning. Jesus said things like, I will lose none of them. But they went out from us because they were never really of us. When I was a, I was a college fresh, freshman, I did, the, I did the gamble roommate thing, right? You just put your name in. You know, you say, I like vanilla ice cream, I like sports, and I'm not a very good studier, and they choose somebody else who likes that stuff, or whatever they do. <laughs> so I go into my, my dorm room, Harper Dorm, UNL, sixth floor, 602, I think. Hated that place. Anyway, go, <laughs> go in, and he's got all this stuff on the left-hand side. He's from Bakersfield, California. And he's got his C.S. Lewis books and Tolkien and all this Bible and all this Christian stuff. I didn't know much in general, <laughs> but I thought, eh, this ought to be interesting. And so then I do my side of the room and I put up my big poster of Sid Vicious, bass player for the Sex Pistols. You know, just I, I put up all my stuff and I'm like, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> To make a long story short, then I find another pagan on chapter uh, on, on, on floor six because we have the same musical interests. Uh, fast forward, then we all move off campus together. We get another roommate who stayed in our house off campus, I think one night, because he was just hiding from his parents because he really lived with his girlfriend. Okay? I mean, and there's another room. I mean, it just was bad after bad after bad. The three pagans got converted. The roommate from Bakersfield denied the faith. Heartbreaker, actually. I didn't mean to tell you the big, long story, but we needed some, some levity before the tragedy. If you don't know anyone who's professed faith in Christ and walked away, you haven't been a Christian very long. And it really is important that you have a category that's a true, legitimate, biblical category. If I met my old roommate, Phil, today, I would share the gospel with him. I wouldn't assure him of his faith that doesn't exist. You've got to have a category, a biblical category, for a empty profession of faith. Those who went out from us were never really of us. And in my words, John goes on to say, if they would have been, they would have stayed. This is so helpful and important. 
it's not because saving faith is, is somehow better and more virtuous, but you're genuinely trusting in Jesus to do it all for you. But there is such a thing as not genuinely trusting in Jesus. The, per- the person who preached the gospel to me led to my salvation has denied the faith. doesn't make the gospel any less true. If God spoke through Balaam's donkey, he would speak through someone named John. But there is such a thing as a false profession of faith. Okay, let's move on to number 11. Number 11, next question. What evidence is saving faith? Now we're going to go to James chapter 2. What, what evidence is saving faith? What, what shows that faith is real? What shows that, that faith is genuine? this wasn't where I was intending to go, but one thing that shows that faith is real is that it lasts. (laughs) Even Matthew 13 would help us with that. It even lasts under pressure and difficulty. It lasts during bad times. Even to use Matthew 13, it lasts during good times. To use a big fancy word, it perseveres. Because you have the Spirit of God in you, working. We could go to Romans chapter 6, that, that, that fruit shows evidence of saving faith. New life, new desires. Romans 6 is amazing. Again, we want to be in James 2. But Romans 6 is amazing because it talks about if you've trusted in Jesus, you've been united to Him. And you've been united to Him in His death. And then it says, so you've died to sin. But that's not all. You've also been raised with Him, so you've been raised unto newness of life. So there's fruit, there's newness of life, there's a new disposition, there's new desires. Perfection, no, that doesn't come until we see Christ. But, but there is this, this awesome reality that, that united in His death, so we died to sin, united in His resurrection, we live n- unto newness of life. So how do we know who's professed faith in Christ and it's legitimate faith in Christ? Well, does it look like they died to sin? Does it look like they've been raised unto newness of life? Because that happens to everyone who's a Christian. Romans chapter 6. So in Romans, the Apostle Paul argues, 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 belabors, 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 I don't know what a belaver is. Belabors. Salvation is not by your deeds. It's not by your works. It's not in part or in whole by your works. It's all of Jesus. It's all of what he has done. It's all of God's grace. And then evidence, chapter 6, shows up newness of life. Works come as a result. This is where we could go to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. It's only grace, only faith, only in Christ. And then chapter 2, verse 10. Four good works. Ah. So one of the places where I want to get assurance is the fact that my my life is different. One of the evidences of saving faith is my life is different. It's not the only one. It's one of them. I like Hebrews. We're never going to get this done. (laughs) But these these are such basic, big, 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 Big biblical themes that you can go all over the place. One of the awesome things about Hebrews is it talks about assurance coming from the finished work of Jesus. Done. And then building on that, it talks about 
persevering, continuing to follow Jesus, newness of life. Both of those things give evidence to support saving faith. Okay, we're in James chapter 2 now. Oh, we could go to John 15. Okay, we won't. <laughs> John, uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. We're answering the question, what evidences saving faith? We'll read 14 to 26, minimal comments, and you'll, you'll see the point. What good is it, my brothers, talking to professing Christians, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Okay. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, here's an illustration, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. I love this back and forth. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. It's pretty hard to show your faith without works is what he's getting at. You believe that God is one, you do well. See, this is where we could have gone. There's a category of faith that's not saving faith. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, demons have faith. It's not saving faith. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Pretty straightforward. What evidence is saving faith? Fruit, John 15. Works, James chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Titus chapter 3. Make no mistake about it. We don't partner with God. And if we do enough, and Jesus did enough, then God will meet us halfway. you got to read Romans 1 to 5 or Ephesians 1 and 2. But also make no mistake about it. Genuine saving faith, which is a uniting to Christ faith, is a died to sin faith and raised to righteousness faith. Faith without works is dead. Shows that it's not a genuine faith. So that's why people say things like, in Christian circles like ours, I'm not the person I want to be, but I'm thankful I'm not the person I was. 
That's not biblical, but that's just a, a mature kind of Christian saying that acknowledges there's been some change, there's been growth, there's been signs of new life. We could also think about it in terms of, in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead and you're made alive. Well, people who are alive have signs of life. That's all. So there is a faith that doesn't save. We should know that. Again, depending on the kind of person you are and your disposition, I'm going to emphasize one or the other. (laughs) There's a saying also about pastors. Their job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So there's, you might be that kind of person in all sincerity where you have a super sensitive conscience and you're just always wondering, is it enough fruit to, to evidence saving faith? And, oh, you know, I, I so struggle and I'm not doing a very good job at representing you. I mean it sincerely. I mean, where you really struggle. I want to comfort you with the objective, finished work of Christ emphasized in Hebrews. And I want to say, stop looking at your life. God knows and we know you're still a sinner. Probably worse than you think. See what I'm I'm saying? But then there's the person who's over here that just, in a sense, wants to have license and live however they want under the banner of, you know, it's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and I want to live like the devil. I want to say, hold on a second. You need to read the book of Hebrews, and you need to look at some of the other emphases later in the book about godliness. Even lifestyle kind of godliness. And you need to be feeling some rub here. Are you, are, you, are you truly trusting in this Jesus? In that sense, Hebrews is one size fits all. It's awesome. <laughs> it's the counselor's guide <laughs> to helping people understand this. But for now, I just want you to at least see there is ways to see and have assurance and it would be from the work of Christ and what he's done, the one you're trusting in, For this morning, I was just emphasizing James chapter 2. There's a place to look at my life and say, look, I should live differently. Okay, lots more could be said about that, but we we need to move on. Number 12. We'll do, this is the last one for today. And then next week, common misconceptions. Number 12, what is the faith? What is the faith? And if you have a Bible, you can look at Titus chapter 1 or Jude chapter 3. I'll reference 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. But the main text I would like to look at is Titus 1 or Jude chapter 3. Jude is easy to find, second to the last book of the Bible, only one chapter. So it's Jude verse 3, chapter 1. What is the faith?
Where do I want to start on this? I can say this is my favorite point, but they've all kind of been my favorite point to talk about. In, in our culture, sometimes we get this one half right. We don't know what faith is. Oftentimes in a religious context. But we do say things sometimes like, so what faith are you? And if someone asked me what faith I am, I would say, I'm a Christian. And hopefully have opportunities to explain what that means. Before they tried to peg me as a Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic, or Lutheran, or something like that. I want to explain the work of Jesus. That's the kind of Christian I am. What faith are you? Well, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus has been raised from the dead for me. So in that sense, we kind of, we kind of get it right. What, what faith are you? What's interesting, though, in Christianity is in, in softer kind of unbiblical senses, we, we start talking total subjective terminology. And a whole room of Christians can have a whole room of different kinds of faith. And that, that's your faith. And this is my faith. And that's your faith, and that's your faith. And all of us could have different faiths, but we're all Christians. And that's as anti-Christian, sub-Christian, non-Christian, unbiblical as you could possibly be. What's amazing in the Bible, it talks about the faith with the article. Now, it's, don't, get, don't get me wrong. It's, it's yours, because you should believe it. But before it's yours... It belongs to every single Christian who's ever been a Christian. And then by you affirming, believing, trusting in that faith, you join every other Christian who's ever been a Christian. But the Bible has a category for this. It's exciting. It's unifying. It's called the faith. The explanation of the work of God, the person of God. Titus chapter 1 is just one sample. You could do a word search on the faith and you'll be like, wow, this comes up a lot. Titus chapter 1 verse 13. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply. He's talking about false teachers who are trying to upset things. That they may be sound in or healthy, spiritually healthy in the faith. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths. See, there's no room for, for, for made-up stories added from a different religion. No, it's, it's signed, sealed, and delivered, right? It's got a bow on it. It's the faith. And so you can't add Jewish myths. Not allowed. Not part of it. And the commands of people. Extra rules, extra regulations, insights who turn away from... Here we go. Here's, here's a good parallel from the truth. Oh, there's, there is the faith. It's awesome. You could say, well, that's divisive. Sure it is. And it's also inclusive. In technical terms, we talk about, in more formalized terms, when we talk about the faith, we're talking about, and, and this is worth, this is, if you paid to get in today, this is going to make it worth it, okay? Um... <laughs> That objective body of Christian doctrine 
that defines Christianity. Keyword is objective. That objective body of Christian doctrine, teaching that defines Christianity. What I mean by objective is it exists outside of you. It exists whether you believe it or not. It exists whether you're a part of it or not. Jesus was raised from the dead. That just is what happened. Even if no one ever believed it. That's what happened. That's, that's Christian doctrine. It's part of the body of objective Christian doctrine. Not only did Jesus come, he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, perfectly fulfilling the law of God, voluntarily going to the cross, atoning for everyone's sins who would ever believe. He was raised again bodily with eyewitnesses, not fantasy land, and he bodily ascended. And it's promised that he's coming again as he left. Those things are some of the big pillars of the faith. Believe it or not. I would want you to exercise your faith in affirming the faith and the God of the faith who's given the faith and then it becomes your faith. You see? But when we talk about it, we see in the Bible, there is such a thing as the faith. It's talking about what's been done, who God is, how he's acted. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. That's part of the faith. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's part of the faith. It's how we articulate the gospel or the response to the gospel. Maybe one other text is Jude chapter or I say Jude 3, Jude 1, verse 3, because it even, it, it really helps us to understand this. It says, their beloved, all, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. So it can be fought for, it can be defended because it, it exists objectively. And by the way, notice, you can be in, in unison, you can be in common in this contending. Think about if everybody's faith was separate, we would have to, we, we couldn't contend together, we'd have to contend with each other. But if it's the faith, we can unify, and this is talking about the unification here, we can unify in contending. Because there's only one faith that would unite all Christians, fascinatingly enough. But then let's keep going. The re real reason I wanted you to look here, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's good. We've talked about that recently, so I don't want to just belabor it. But it's the faith, and it was delivered to the saints. It's been given to us unites us. But see, it's objective. Now, I want you, as a fellow human being, and as a pastor, and as a Christian, I want you to subjectively, because now it's personal, inside of you, I want you to subjectively believe, or to have, let me say, I want you to subjectively have faith in the faith. 
It's just becoming a Christian. Because it is personal. But the faith, before it is personal, is historic, objective, outside of you. And it would be true whether anybody believed it or not. That's how Christians talk. This is a rub for us, right, in 21st century America where everything is subjective. And when we, when we talk about math, we say, how did you feel about that? I felt terrible about it. I didn't know the answer. Even when we mean think, we say feel. That's new. And I'm not saying it's the worst thing ever to happen on planet Earth. I'm just saying as good ambassadors, as good missionaries in Omaha, Nebraska, or those of you who come from the other side of the river, as good ambassadors, we just need to know that we've become, we've entered into a whole new realm culturally of subjectivity and everything is evaluated subjectively, subjectively, it seems. It doesn't kill our evangelism. It doesn't put a stranglehold on it. These are the days in which God has us living. It just means you need to be aware and to perhaps be more thoughtful at communicating the realities regarding the faith. That's all. You just need to be aware. I love it that we can be part of the faith. I love it that this means we can get along, by the way. Right? If it's all, well, you tell me about yours and I'll tell you about mine and it all came from the inside, it's no wonder we're going to fight. How dare you question my faith? Right? And if there is no the faith, we should all be saying, how dare you question my faith? Because it's mine and it came from inside of me. But see, we can, we can talk and be civil if we're talking about what is and what isn't the faith. Now, I have convictions about what it is and what it isn't, so we're still going to fight. <laughs> but that's hopeless. There's hope in this kind of fighting. We can look at it. We can evaluate it. We can examine it. We can study it. We can dialogue back and forth. And we can be united around promoting and defending the faith. Because we want people to have faith, trust in the faith. And ultimately in the person who is central to all things in the faith. Hope it's helpful. Next week, common misconceptions. Did you know there's a major, major, major professing Christian entity whose champion defender said that faith is not trust. It is only assent. We're going to talk about that next time. And you're going to go, huh. You might be doing that now because you say, what is a scent? <laughs> well, let me pray before we wrap things up.
Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his work and for his person and for all that he's done, that he's given us his spirit as a gift, as a down payment, as a, as a promise. That eternal life is not merely an empty promise made by a false prophet. Thank you that Jesus, the historical Jesus, the God-man, the resurrected, ascended, returning one has given us his spirit who can unite us, who grants saving faith, who grants repentance, who's alive and well in the church. Lord, we're thankful for these things. Please stir our hearts. Allow us as men and women, allow us as, as the boys and girls who are part of this church to give serious thought, prayer, and consideration regarding how we might clearly communicate the truth regarding Jesus Christ. And may it come out of love and sincerity. In Jesus' name, amen.